Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the ASIC Talk powered by ICM. My name is Julie Elms, I'm an intensivist in Strasbourg in France and an associate editor in ICM. Joining me today, we have the great pleasure to introduce Professor Alexander Vlar, an intensive care specialist working in Amsterdam University Medical Center. Beside an extensive experience in clinical research, one of his research lines consists in preclinical and clinical investigation about transfusion, and he is the chair of the ASIC Transfusion Task Force. So we will be talking about the recent publication in ICM of the guidelines from the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine about transfusion strategies in bleeding critically ill adults. So Alexander, welcome to the program. Thank you very much and uh, nice to be here. I will begin with the first question. Uh, these guidelines uh, tackle with very important questions about transfusion in critically ill patients, in particular transfusion support and the use of tranexamic acid. Can you explain us the methodology of how the 26 recommendations were generated? Well, yeah, uh, this is part two. Uh, part one we published uh, last year and, and both uh, guidelines has uh, been developed uh, uh, with the, the great uh, uh, methodology. Um, so uh, the task force of including 15 clinical uh, experts with expertise in critical care medicine, anesthesiology, hematology, uh, cardiac surgery, gastroenterology and transfusion medicine uh, were guided also with two methodologists. Also experienced next to uh, the guideline development, also both intensivists from the guide group and together we uh, 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 developed the, the PICO, the, the research questions, um, and uh, uh, ranked them. Uh, this was based on the expert input, but also based on the survey uh, about transfusion practices now uh, worldwide, uh, where we think the, the most important gaps are. Um, and further, um, more, um, we uh, used also uh, a ranking on the most important endpoints that were uh, needed for this guideline. Subsequently, all the literature was being searched and reviewed by two of the, the panelists. Um, and we had the guideline meeting about the voting for the recommendation based on the, the searches and the data extraction performed by the methodologist. Okay, thanks. Um, one of the main questions for ICU physicians dealing with patients with massive bleeding are the transfusion ratio. How did you determine the recommendation for transfusion ratio in these patients and what is the strength of evidence? Well, that's a very important field and, and we felt this was very important to tackle in an ICU guideline because we have, of course, the trauma guidelines, um, but this is also often pre-hospital or in the shock room. Well, in the ICU, we are also faced with massive bleeding. And can we extrapolate those data or do we have evidence for the ICU? So uh, we suggest to use a high ratio transfusion strategy, uh, at least one unit plasma for two units of packed red blood cells versus a low ratio transfusion strategy in critically ill patients with massive bleeding due to trauma. It is a conditional recommendation with low certainty of evidence. 
We make, however, no recommendation regarding the use of fixed high ratio transfusion strategies in critically ill patients with non-traumatic massive bleeding. So no recommendation, very low um, uh, certainty of evidence. And I think it's very important to underline again that most of the evidence for the high plasma ratio studies are from observational studies with many confounders. For example, that patients were enrolled in studies um, while in that time uh, plasma was still needed to be taught and that patients enrolled in the first 45 minutes but uh, did not survive were used in the analysis while they actually could never be exposed to plasma transfusion. And then, of course, you will get a very positive effect of patients receiving plasma associated with a better outcome because they survived the first 45 minutes. Um, so um, if we then look at the randomized trials, uh, there is uh, no evidence on the endpoint mortality, but on uh, hemostasis, so uh, 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 getting the bleeding controls, it seems that there is a signal that it may be better. And if we look at the downside, so the side effects of transfusions, and of course, there has been improvement with uh, uh, products, for example, mill-only plasma transfusion, which reduces the risk of trolley. Um, and in that way, it seems that the downside is, uh, is not significant. And with this signal that there might be benefits, uh, we have a conditional recommendation for the trauma setting. Um, this is, however, not the case for the no trauma setting. So here we do not make a recommendation. Uh, important, however, for the downside of the transfusion, most of the trials were never pre-designed uh, to focus on uh, certain uh, uh, negative side effects in a prospective manner. So passive reporting by bedside physicians was asked, but not prospective really searching for transfusion reactions. So that, that's also a limitation which should be uh, mentioned. Um, so within the high ratio transfusion, there is still limited evidence that, that that's really a takeaway for the specific ICU setting. Okay, that's very clear. And what about whole blood transfusion? Well, yeah, that's an, of course a field that is moving now and, and it's important to address this is based on the observation we had from the Afghanistan and the Iraq uh, uh, studies where this high plasma ratio seemed to be beneficial. But again, what I already mentioned um, in, the, in, in the previous part, there, there are major flaws in those studies. So I think we need to realize that the evidence is really limited. And actually, we first need really to get better evidence in this ratio study part in massive bleeding patients. Because the trials that out there are really not answering the question whether a high ratio versus, for example, point of care uh, uh, transfusion is really improving patient outcome. Um, and based on those observations, people are now running to whole blood again, because whole blood uh, has been used in the past. Um, so I, I think we should be really careful uh, with introducing the next part in transfusion medicine before answering actually the, 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 the important question whether even this higher plasma ratio is really in all settings better. So I think we need first to have this answer um, and then we can go to the next. 
There are, however, and that's also what is in the guideline, we, we sum up where the research gaps are, but also where uh, upcoming trials are are, are going to uh, uh, provide answers. And there is already some some uh, some studies going on in this area, and we felt we really need to weigh the answers of those uh, studies before we start doing a recommendation in a guideline. Um, and I hope with the next guideline there is more evidence so we can do a recommendation. Okay. And what are the main differences for the transfusion support in non-massively bleeding patients? Well, I think what an important uh, um, uh, point to take away for the non-massive bleeding patients is that there are now several uh, uh, trials regarding the red blood cell transfusion that you can allow a restrictive transfusion also in the non-massive bleeding patient. And I think that's the important takeaway that um, we are really uh, uh, um, eager to start transfusion when patients start bleeding, uh, but you can be restrictive. For the massive bleeding, we do not know which is the, the, the best red blood cell transfusion uh, a trigger um, how far you can go uh, uh, down, how restrictive you can be. But for the non-massive, we do know that a restrictive policy uh, can be recommended. Okay. Um, could you tell us what are the future perspective and research areas? Yeah, so uh, from the guideline perspective, what I think is uh, uh, clear that uh, with the 26 recommendation generated, and uh, there are many uh, uh, questions. Um, we we provide no recommendation because the evidence is too low. So I think it's very important to have those areas answered. And um, with the non-bleeding critically ill uh, setting, the guideline part one, we were able to provide much more answers on 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 areas uh, with the evidence we have. So I think it's also important with this uh, guideline that we stress out that um, there are many areas in transfusion practice in the ICU, uh, there are knowledge gaps. Um, and I think one is uh, already the, 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 the part of the massive uh, uh, transfusion, the transfusion ratios in massive bleeding, uh, mainly, of course, also in the uh, non-trauma setting. Um, a field which is developing is the cold store platelets. Uh, are they beneficial within trauma or within cardiac surgery, trials are ongoing and hopefully provide uh, answer to that. Um, other areas where I think uh, research has been performed or start to be performed is restrictive versus liberal platelet transfusion. Uh, we do have uh, the PETCH trial and the Matisse trial in areas where we thought that platelet transfusion would be beneficial and it turned out to be not beneficial and maybe even harmful. So areas where we, from a basic reasoning, always thought it would be beneficial to transfuse, um, and that's specifically in place of transfusion, uh, should be investigated. So this is also an area I, I think uh, we need to focus on. And uh, the good news is that if you look at the tables in the guideline uh, on ongoing research that many trials are uh, currently enrolling on those areas. So what's next for the ASIGM task force? Well, um, there's always a, a, a new uh, uh, objective. 
Uh, of course, um, uh, guideline one will be updated in a five-year uh, time period and guideline two as well. Um, but we are now working for part three um, in which we will focus on um, uh, antidotes for uh, patients on anticoagulant therapy in the ICU setting uh, should you uh, uh, correct them uh, if you want to correct them, how do you correct them? And um, we noticed from uh, out of the field that there are many questions how to approach the critically ill patients on anticoagulant therapy um, and in which uh, patients uh, might need correction or not and what to do. Uh, so that's uh, 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 the part three uh, we are working on. Uh, furthermore, the Eskom Transfusion Task Force is also supporting several trials uh, uh, worldwide now. Uh, one of them is the input study, a worldwide prospective study on um, the transfusion practices in ICUs, not only um, on the, the, the practice and, and the laboratory data, but also the reasoning. So also with active questionnaires, why physicians are transfusing. And, and this helps us to provide insight where practice is different from um, evidence and what the reasoning from physicians is why they do that and hopefully this helps us in um, developing new uh, trials and uh, solving knowledge gaps in transfusion medicine in the ICU. Okay, thank you very much Alexander, that was very clear and very interesting. Thank you very much.